Hi there, Tom D'Antoni from Oregon Music News. We're not at our usual stand, the World Cup Coffee and Tea, for this OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. Because he's so busy, we came to the Temple of Records to meet the Grand Vizier of Music in Portland, Music Millennium's owner, Terry Courier. If there is a more central figure in the music industry around here, I've never met him. Most of the time when he's interviewed, everybody always asks him, how's the store doing and will the record business survive? Well, I don't want to do that. If you've ever sat with Terry, the most fun is to talk about music. Thing is, his taste is so broad, he could be talking about the kinks one minute and thrash metal the next. Let's talk to the person who has done more for music and musicians in Oregon than anybody else, Terry Courier. That's right, not in the coffee shop today, because we have a, a an eminent, his eminence. Oh. <laughs> and we, 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 we brought the coffee shop to him. Um, Terry Courier, thank you for doing this. Good to see you here today, Tom. Uh, we're not at the coffee shop, we're, at, we're in a room at the, at, at the Music Millennium Nerve Central. Uh, <laughs> what is this room? Uh, this used to be an office that's become storage room. Ah, ah the acoustics are terrific. <laughs> um, so, and, and, it's, and it's quiet in here. We can do this. We, so. it, it is the about the only quiet space in the entire building. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, we just had lunch. <laughs> so we may, I'm, I may ask you to tell me some of the same things that you said at lunch. That's fine. Yeah, I'm sure it's not the first time you told you said those things anyway. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Music Millennium is how old? Uh, we're 47 years old. Started on March 15th, 1969 at 3 in the afternoon on the Ides of March. <laughs> but you were not here then? I was not here. No. I was a... Where were you? Where no, were you? On <laughs> I, I was 14 years old, living in Seattle. I hadn't listened to recorded music i didn't listen to the radio at that time a couple years later we moved down this this way and i was enlightened by recorded music and uh next thing you know i was working in a record store wow put that up a little higher there you go very good um what do you mean you didn't listen to music <laughs> well i played music but i practiced all day long that I never had time to listen to the radio. So I I was totally clueless. I mean, I heard about different groups like the Beatles and the Monkees and stuff, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you, you know, uh -huh. what was on the Revolver album or what yeah. was on the Monkees Headquarters album or, <clears throat> you know, what's this Are You Experience album by Jimi <laughs> Hendrix about, you know? <laughs> so what kind, if you, were, if you didn't, weren't listening to music but you were playing music what kind of music were you playing i was playing what was put in front of me by my my band directors uh -huh. um my goal was to go to college on music scholarships huh. well what uh, would they put in front of you what kind of songs yeah uh you uh, we played classical music we played uh -huh. some jazz uh -huh. and then as my junior high band director said we're going to play this song called um, blowing in the wind by Bobby Dylan, <laughs> you know. So it was Bobby Dylan to me for a 
little while. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. No, because you wouldn't. Have, that, nobody would ever think that. That, that, that it, it took you a while to get into it. No, I mean, it, it, I, I talked to my parents a couple of times after that yeah. and let them know they deprived me <laughs> uh, of, of my younger years by not exposing me to to music. Well, it's always it's always good to blame your parents for everything. That you know. Yeah. <laughs> Got to blame somebody up there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like the kid in. You remember American Hot Wax? Remember oh yeah. I was like great the film. I was like the kid in American uh, in American Hot Wax. Oh, great <laughs> film. Yeah, Jay Leno was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, I I I loved the uh, the re- the recording sessions that they staged. Oh yeah. With, with the real people. That was. To, to it really captured a a, yeah. a piece of yeah. musical history and, yeah. and a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows that movie anymore. <laughs> no, maybe it's time for a comeback. You know, well, they should show it. They should be showing it at the, yeah. the secondary movie theaters that yeah. that bring yeah. back those classics. Or or at least on TCM. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it it it's. It's up there for people who like things like American Graffiti and, sure. and films like that. Yeah. Um, this this one really holds up to those kind of films. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in 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 some ways, as far as the music goes, it's better than American Graffiti because yeah, it, it music, dealt with the music industry. The mu- the music part of it was was pretty special. Yeah, I don't remember seeing a lot of mafia in that movie though. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes they 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 just kind of slide over the the, the bad points of the time. <laughs> oh man! So you started listening to the radio when when you moved to, you moved here. Yeah, I was uh, uh, when I turned sixteen. Yeah. Uh, I decided to get a motorcycle instead of a car. I never driven a motorcycle, so I learned how to ride the motorcycle around our yard. Went to my motorcycle <laughs> license test. Um, living in the Northwest, going through a winter on a motorcycle makes you very motivated to go, I think I'm going to get a car instead. Yes. <laughs> and so when I was about 16 and two-thirds, uh, I got a car. It had a radio in it, and it soon had an 8-track player in it. Whoa. Too. Whoa, 8-track. I started listening to K-Van Radio uh-huh. and Kissin' Radio in town. K-Van was an AM uh, daytimer station. It yeah. went on the air when the sun came up, yep. and it went down and off the air when the sun came down. Yeah. Um, I worked at one of those. <laughs> Bob Anchetta was the first disc jockey that I heard on the air there. At the end of the day, they always played, and in the end... <laughs> love you by the Beatles and then it went into a half an hour of a Catholic rosary oh yeah in they Latin. had they had those all over the country we had that in Baltimore I on, mean, on, on a daytime station no, I left I, the radio yeah. on sometimes didn't understand a single thing they were saying right right <laughs> yeah I remember those there was jeez I guess they're available online now <laughs> <laughs> Man, I oh mean, and they didn't play the national. They played the national anthem on on on, on some of them. Oh at the my! End of the day. Yeah, like they did on TV. When TV had an a, an end to the broadcast day. Oh, you know, I, I was trying to remember what year did they quit doing that? Where at the end of the broadcast day, 
the national anthem would come on. When they invented infomercials. Ah, <laughs> we have something to fill up that space of time and make when we're money. not on the air and, and make, make money. money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a certain amount of crazy people that stay up late at night. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what what kind what 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 songs struck you first? Uh, I can re- I can remember one of the s- songs I first heard there uh, was a song by the band Spirit, and I actually went into a record store and sang it for a clerk. Uh, I didn't know the name of the song. Um, I figured it was called I Got a Line on You because they kept repeating that in the chorus, but I had no idea who the band was. And once I found out who the band was, I bought every album by Spirit. And today, Spirit is my number two favorite band of all time. Wow. Still. Who's number one? Uh, number one is the Kinks, and That's I don't think anything awesome. can ever knock that band off. Ray Davies. You know, had, I, I you're you're absolutely right. I didn't like the British Invasion at all, right? Except for the Stones, pretty much, and the Kinks. And I liked the Kinks better than the Stones at that time. The the Kinks had a different approach to their music. I mean, yeah. they, the the lyrics and song contents were were actually um they spoke from inside the common yeah. person and they always had something to say they always had something to say it it wasn't about you know love and it wasn't about uh silly things that were going on in life it was they were they were like little stories and two and a half to three and a half minute songs yeah yeah, yeah. and they were the you know it's funny uh, contemporary they were they were the first band to write about transsexuals they were <laughs> la, 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 before la, lou la, reed la, la. or anything else you know oh yeah i mean of course there was always little richard but he didn't write about that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um dedicated follower of fashion that was that was tremendous social commentary oh definitely so yeah um i mean there there were so many songs i mean even fantasy songs like shangri-la yeah i mean yeah they they there was a message to those songs and uh it 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 just hit a nerve within with inside of me yeah and actually the first kink song that 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 really caught on to me was Lola. And I was really fascinated with the fact that this band was talking about this subject matter. Yeah. um, Yeah. Because it wasn't an open talk subject matter at all Uh -uh, at that uh -uh. time. Not at all. No. Uh, That was cool. Um, uh, You know, I'm a little little older than you. And I remember the summer that you really got me came out. Oh wow! And that was that was something special because I think that was the same year that the birth control pill was invented. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all hell broke loose. Yeah, you really got me. You really got me. <laughs> oh man! No, then that you know once I once I discovered music, recorded music. Yeah. Um, about three months later, I went to my first concert, which was Leon Russell and the Shelter People at the Portland Memorial Coliseum with a uh, special guest, Knit Singer, opened up. <laughs> and 
within a couple of weeks I was applying for a job in a record store and I was really lucky that they didn't ask me a uh, anything musical <laughs> trivia of any sorts they just saw that I was very enthusiastic and decided to hire me um, the first week I worked in the store uh, Pink Floyd came to town and the store manager asked me if I wanted tickets to Pink Floyd I didn't know who they were and I said why don't you give it to them because they they've been talking about Pink Floyd for the last couple of days and I'll stay here and put posters on the wall and get ready for grand opening tomorrow <laughs> well it was six months before the Dark Side of the Moon album came out oh, and it was the Dark Side of the Moon tour they did that in its entirety oh that night. my god um, all I can do is kick myself in the butt and yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah, actually, um, uh, I I don't I don't generally give new writers a, a quiz like that. But there was this one woman, really really tremendous writer, Krista McIntyre, who you know wanted to write. And I said great, and she said I I I I I know a great deal about music history, and she's in her thirties, right? And I said okay, uh, great. Uh, hey, by the way, I was thinking the other day. Who was the sax player on on Yakety Yak? She goes King Curtis. <laughs> wow, there you go. I went okay. <laughs> when I, you know, I worked for this place, DJ Sound City, from 1972 to 1984, and uh, that first year I was working in a record store. I lived at home, and so I just brought a bag lunch to work every day. And I got out of school at noon so I could work 40 hours a week, uh-huh. but. I had to make up for lost time, and I bought about 665 albums that year. Um, (laughs) And listened to all of them. I listened to all of them, too. I had the time to do that. Wow. And I I was not genre-specific at all, and I had Mm -hmm. no peer pressure to listen to any particular bands or genre of music or sub sub-genre of music. Mm -hmm. So I was buying jazz records, classical records, rock records folk records country records you know if it was good i was buying it you know it was not uncommon for me to be in my car with my a-track player uh, <laughs> playing the mari vishnu orchestra yeah. followed by chris christopherson um, <laughs> wow and you know when i back to the trivia thing when i came to music millennium in 84 uh-huh. uh my interview consisted of being at dinner and playing like 200 questions and the the first question he tried to get me on was uh who are the fairport convention and i started naming every single member (laughs) that had been in the band before and was currently in the band and started talking about all their solo records and the side (laughs) projects they've been on and I could see we were going to go to question number two. <laughs> <laughs> so when you saw um, Leon Russell. Oh, I saw uh, Leon Russell. I mean, so was was Claudia Lanier one of the backup singers? Do you know? Yeah. Oh and man, oh. that the that show was so revelationary to me. I yeah. mean, it's the thing that really captured me uh, to get to get into this whole thing. Uh, Leon was so energetic. I mean, yeah. he was playing piano and stuff, but he was also playing guitar, wow. jumping up on his piano, oh, playing geez. guitar on top of his piano. I mean, the band uh, had uh, uh, all the backup singers, yeah. the horn players, 
I mean, this was the big 12-piece yeah. production yeah, yeah. on stage. God, was, and and Cla- not only was Claudia Lanier a great singer, but she was so hot back then. Oh, she Jeez. was. She put out a record on Warner Brothers at oh, the yeah. time yeah. Uh, with a gatefold sleeve that folded <laughs> open so you could see the whole body of Claudia there. And I, I can remember very much many teenage boys coming over <laughs> and just looking at the new release wall at that cover. <laughs> Did you see her when, when Bobby Torres brought her to town? No, I wasn't able to oh, see her. Man. But I've heard I got a hug story. from Claudia Lanier. Oh, oh man. <laughs> You fulfilled your fantasy right there. Forty years for this, (laughs) (laughs) and she was really nice. She was wonderful to talk to. I heard that her voice was pretty good. Her voice voice was good, yeah. But uh, okay, I can die now. I got a hug from Claudia Lanier. (laughs) Have you ever met Leon Russell? I I haven't, and I I I have no idea what he's like. I I went to. Phoenix, Arizona, to see the Leon Russell Elton John show because uh-huh. it wasn't going to be coming up this way. Yeah. And I'm a big Leon fan. Yeah. And uh, um, I had arranged to meet Leon and Elton at that show. And there was a mix up, and I thought it was an after show situation. Oh. It was a before show situation. I'm sitting in my chair because they said, We'll come pick you up at your seat. And I'm sitting there, and the the whole room is empty, and somebody's going, what are you doing? Oh, I'm waiting for somebody to pick me up to oh. meet Leon Russell. Well, that didn't happen. Oh, geez. Oh. They felt really bad. So when Elton John came here yeah. and was the first show down in Eugene mm-hmm. at the new basketball uh, <coughs> arena down there that Phil Knight put together, they they said, well, why don't you come down and at least meet Elton John? Yeah. And so I went on down to that show. You know, I'm not intimidated about interviewing anybody. Because I've interviewed thousands of people, greats and everything else. But I would feel intimidated interviewing Leon Russell. I don't know why. You know, I, I've been in those situations. I, I mean, I've met a lot of different artists over the years. And we do a lot of live music in the store and we get a lot of artists come here. Yeah. But there was a... A day when I was in my office, and there's a you know there's a glass window in front of my office, yeah. and you can see straight out, and I get an intercom back to me. It goes, "There's a Roger McGuinn here to see <laughs> you," and I look up, and I was gonna I was gonna go to an event later on that afternoon where yeah. he was gonna play a few songs, and I had uh-huh. brought records with me to work. Yeah. But all of a sudden, I was caught totally off guard. <laughs> uh, he came back, and I felt like I was. When I was talking to him, I was kind of like drooling out of the side of my mouth. <laughs> and I had all these great questions and things to talk to him about. Yeah. And all I yeah, could say yeah, is, yeah. I really like your music, man. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you did do It's like the yeah, Chris yeah. Farley thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, you know, I, 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 you know I've interviewed you know, thousands of people. and and But the thing, there's something about Leon Russell that that scares you. Well, because like what you know, you you can't. He's hard to. He's very hard to read. He's a, he's a one of a kind out there. Yeah, and yeah. you know he he helped a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he jump started a lot of their careers. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he is one of the the true legends. Yeah, 
yeah. Now Bobby Torres wasn't in that band at night because he was he was just with no Joe. no he no he Cocker. was in Mad Dogs and Englishman yeah, with yeah. Joe Cocker yeah yeah uh, which I would have loved to seen that tour yes. yeah 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 that's that's how she came here because there was a reunion uh, in in New York of Mad Dogs and Englishman a tribute you know to to Joe Cocker and Bobby went went east for it and yeah I heard and, about and, that uh, yeah 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 and Leon you know all, all Leon Russell was there and. Claudia, and that's how that's how she ended up here. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so, uh, did you did you keep buying records at that furious pace? Uh, I did until, um, well, I started working at the the Jansen Beach store in September of my senior year, and as soon as I graduated high school, they sent me to their Seattle store. I was there for five months, and I had a great rent situation up there. I had mm-hmm. like a six-year-old house. Me and a friend each paid $25 a month <laughs> to take care of the house um, <laughs> while these people were gone. Uh-huh. And so I, I could keep up the pace. And then I got offered the opportunity to to go to Hawaii and be the assistant manager over in Hawaii and I go, sure, yeah. It was going to be like $100 more a month. Yeah. And I got to Hawaii, and then I got sticker shock. Oh. Um, because just to pay the rent uh-huh. and eat a meal a day pretty much took my paycheck <laughs> every month. Wow. So all of a sudden, my record buying slowed down dramatically. Uh. Then a year later, I got, I got, when I was 19 years old, I got sent to their Everett store. Uh, to manage the store, mm-hmm. and um, the economy was much better on yeah. the mainland there. Rent was much cheaper, yeah. and I went back into mode of, of buying those records. Uh-huh. That first year I was working at DJ Sound City, um, the third week I was working at the store, I was going out with a girl that worked in the store, and she said, I've got a surprise for you tonight. And I was thinking something completely different. <laughs> But she took me to Music Millennium, and uh-huh. I'd never been in the store. And I go, wow, they got all this too? Because Millennium had went to Europe and opened up all these accounts with all the European record distributors, uh-huh. and they had this huge import section in the store. And uh, there was all this kraut rock. <laughs> there was this you know, British folk rock. Um, and there was also a mirrored section of the store. One side of the store was domestics. One side was was imports. Uh-huh. There was a who section on this side and a who section on the other side. <laughs> because the main reason that Millennium and Don McLeod went to Europe to set up these accounts was he felt that American vinyl was inferior uh-huh. to European vinyl, which he was correct on. Uh-huh. So that was his main motivation was to get better pressings of all these great records but while he was over there he goes oh there's all this other cool music too and he started bringing it back to the the states he even at one point um brian eno had these oblique of strategy cards Mm -hmm. that he put out Mm -hmm. and don was the only place in the united states that got any brought him to millennium 500 packs of these cards and Brian Eno uses these cards to make decisions in his life wow. when he's producing. 
and he'll be in the studio and you know they're like tarot cards yeah. or anything else but he's yeah. he you know they're specially made cards and he'll pick up the card and that's what will be his decision on how he's going to go Jeez. in to produce this u2 record wow. or this robert fripp record yeah and, yeah yeah wow <laughs> um speaking of vinyl how, how's vinyl doing uh vinyls made made a big comeback well um yeah but how's it doing it's you know in in most of the independent record stores it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a great portion of their business wow. um it's it's 40 to 45 percent of our business wow right now. that's huge it, it is really huge you know eight years ago uh there's three coalitions of record stores out there uh i helped put together the very first coalition which was called the coalition of independent music stores uh-huh. and it was a it was a group put together to act as kind of a support team and work records together mm-hmm. of stores in different cities of the United States that were non-competitive so they would feel free about trading information and mm-hmm. and things that made their business successful. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the independent record stores that we knew at the time were in our own town and nobody wanted to really share their competitive information and yeah. why, what made them a better store mm-hmm. or you know something that you know increased their business that year mm-hmm. and the three coalitions started a organization called record store day and record store day was actually put together to try to, to bring some attention to the existing record stores that were out there because in 2000 there was 7,500 record stores in the United States, and in 2007, there was 1,800 record stores in the United States, which was still quite a few, yeah. but the national media in general had really painted a picture that record stores are going away, and they won't be there in the future. Right. And so we used it as kind of a springboard to do a of a PR campaign out there to let the public know hey wait a minute there is still 1800 record stores out there yeah and we're still out there and you know some of us sell vinyl and we all sell CDs but we went to the record industry and uh, we talked them into making special vinyl releases uh, for this particular day called Record Store Day, which would be ended up being the third Saturday of every April, uh-huh. and we went to them to try to get unreleased content, uh, get out of print content, um, maybe made on colored vinyl, mm-hmm. but all in limited editions. And that first Record Store Day, there was 50 releases. Uh, this this last month. Uh, was the ninth annual yeah. record store day, and there was like 450 releases out there. Huh. Um, and if you can look at the pattern, uh, vinyl really, really started taking off on that first record store day, uh-huh. and you can see the jumps each year with each additional record store day. I mean, there was 50 releases that first year. And there was 450 releases this year. Huh. So it's become a phenomenal in itself. Um, 
There was a statement made a month ago that there was more revenue made in the industry last year on vinyl than all the money that was collected on streaming. Wow. That's 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 amazing. That's amazing. So Musical Millennium is really a record store again. We are a record <laughs> store, you know. We were always a record store, but records, you know, were relegated to maybe yeah. 5% of my business right. at one time. Yeah. Because at the end of the 80s, the the major record distributors had shoved vinyl under the rug. Uh-huh. Uh, it really happened about 1986. Right. When what happened is is that they they were still trying to get CDs in the national chain stores, the music lands right. of the world. Yeah. And a lot of these stores were in shopping centers and they go, "We already have two configurations. We got vinyl and we got cassettes. Mm-hmm. We don't have room for a third configuration." So the major distributors the big six at that time pretty much told them CDs are going to be the format of the future vinyls going away and there was this mass exodus at that time vinyl was returnable by Mm -hmm. all the record stores to the distributors Mm -hmm. something that's not available today you buy it you Mm -hmm. own it today Mm -hmm. but back then all of a sudden in one year vinyl sales like dropped 75% because all the chain stores just sent back all their vinyl all at the same time. Wow. So, I mean, it the industry goes, ah, vinyl's going away, and mm-hmm. they quit making it. Hmm. Are they making gatefold LPs? Oh, they are. <laughs> I mean, there's some pretty amazing gatefold things. Yeah. The, the, the difference between vinyl back then and vinyl today, um, the... Vinyl is very expensive today. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose if it got to a point where uh, vinyl was selling at the same kind of numbers as it was mm-hmm. in the past, we would probably see some vinyl sales mm-hmm. drop in price, but possibly not. The only way um, the vinyl is going to be able to even do close to those numbers of the past would be that somebody's going to have to make new pressing plants mm-hmm. uh, all the pressing plants that are out there right now are at full capacity and it's all old equipment from the mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. pressing days every once in a while somebody goes we've discovered some vinyl equipment in a building wow. and yeah. you know they got a pressing plant going uh, about 10 years ago I was going to buy some pressing equipment out of Canada this was before yeah. record store day even happened and I felt like there was a little bit of an increase in in vinyl sales at the time. Yeah. And I could have got I could have got the equipment for for pennies. It was going to cost me more to ship it down from Canada than it was to buy the equipment. Well, it turned out that this pressing plant in Milwaukee, Oregon here, Cascadia, um, that is the equipment that they bought. And uh, I know they must have paid a lot more money for it. Um, I mean, if you have pressing equipment... Oh, this is a great story. Uh, Somebody found pressing equipment in Chicago. Uh And nobody knew it was there. You know, and you go, why didn't anybody know it was there? Well, it was in this abandoned building. And it had been used 
to make bootleg records <laughs> back in the 80s so nobody knew it was there because it wasn't on the radar. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you know, uh, the, 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 maybe the day... The, I, I, I remember I used to go, uh, you know, when I was be looking at my records and, you know, just browsing, just pick, pick one out of Gatefold and wonder... I wonder if there's any dope in that. <laughs> well, well, you know, we, we were with a bunch of coalition stores, yeah. and we were visiting a a store in Encinita, California, uh-huh. and there was an Allman Brothers Live at the Fillmore album there, <laughs> and this guy was showing this younger guy, goes, yeah. you know, we used to open did. these yeah. up, and yeah. we used to, you know, roll our joints yeah. on this. and Clean. As, Clean the, as, yeah. as he opened it up yeah. some seeds rolled <laughs> out of the thing <laughs> that's funny that's funny how do you um decide what to carry and what not to carry we, we know we, we the, the hit hits are the hit hits are hits so those are obvious but uh, and 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 stars are stars but how do you decide well we carry every single genre under the sun here and I read every new release book of every release that's coming out, mm-hmm. both in the United States and uh, available stuff that I can get from Europe uh-huh. and Japan and Canada. And, uh, you know, um, because I'm a, a music fan of all genres, mm-hmm. that, that really helps me in the decision buying. Um, but... You know, there's all these new bands and new artists all yeah, the time, yeah. and you you just take a chance on a lot of this stuff. In the past, um, CDs are which are still returnable. Uh, if you make mistakes, you can send them back. Uh, in most cases, as long as they're from the United States, um, vinyl it's a little bit tougher, and there's a lot more vinyl-only releases coming out mm-hmm. today, and you know you. You you got to think twice whether you're going to bring it in or not because if it doesn't sell, that's just a, a tied up piece of money in your store. Yeah. And um, huh. I mean I I have a certain amount of dead stock in my store on vinyl. Huh. My CDs I keep clean all the time. You know. Yeah. Every so often I go okay let's take the dead stock return it. Yeah. You know because you got to keep your cash flow going too. Right. And, in order to you know, bring new product into the store, um, but with vinyl, it's a, it's a little bit tougher. And uh, um, I've seen a lot of record stores out there just have to curtail their buying of the the unknown and the new artists because you know they've got enough dead stock in their store and their cash flow isn't good, and they mm-hmm. just have to be a little more conservative on that. But there's and and you can't believe the new release books that you read. You know, the, a lot of it yeah. is the hype machine. Right. Yeah. You know, wow. There. So you know, I I stay really involved with you know reading magazines and and reading stuff online and listening to customers and and uh-huh. and because uh-huh. you you got you you got to know what people want and. You got to know, you know, you got to know your employees down there too. Yeah. Um, if you know an employee likes this, that, this, that, there's a good chance that you're going to probably be able to sell this particular piece that comes in because, uh-huh. you know, it 
they they like uh, Bombino, you know. Yeah. And they like that, you know, great guitar with a, uh, African beats and things uh-huh. like that going on in there. That this this band here from this particular country in Africa uh, with great guitar players in the band is going to have a shot at selling in your store. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen. Tell me, um, uh, any any news on the on the Hall of Fame? Anything going on? Uh, we're we we've just got the ballots back. We know who our new induction class is going to be. Oh boy! We're going to announce that on July twelfth. Uh-huh. Uh, it will be at five thirty on July twelfth at Tony Starlights, and it's open to the public. You can come on down yeah. mm-hmm. there. There's going to be a few performances by some of our scholarship winners this uh-huh. last year. Yeah, we gave away four two and a half thousand dollars scholarships uh-huh. again this year uh, from a statewide scholarship uh, program. Um, it's it's going to be a great class. Yeah, uh, and there, you know, there always seems to be surprises yeah. in there yeah. to people. Um, I mean. We're really lucky to be in such a uh, a great music town. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually it's a great music state too. Yeah, and you know there's there's so many people that are on the ballot. You know, where every year our our voters go, ah, oh, you got so many people on the ballot. But every one of those people are so qualified to be there. And then there's other people that haven't been put on the ballot because the ballot is so big. But yeah. we have over 100 people on our on our ballot wow. that gets presented to the voters. Huh. And um, I know one thing that's going to happen this year is we're going to have a small museum uh, connected to the Youth Music Project, uh-huh. an educational facility for music in West Lynn and we're not sure exactly when it's going to open uh-huh. but it's it's pretty much close to being done uh, it will have an interactive kiosk over there so you can find out about all the people that have been inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame which is about 130 some at this point um, there will be the ability to hear a little bit of music by each of these artists, mm-hmm. see photos of the, each of these artists. That's great. Um, but uh, we also, you know, we're finishing up right now our our uh, music in the schools program, uh-huh. which we do every year, and we go into mostly K through five or K through eight uh-huh. schools throughout the state, uh, doing music assemblies in schools that don't have music programs, and each year we're trying to grow that program it it takes a certain amount of money to do these these programs so um as we grow and as we, we get more people interested in our organization and get more support yeah. we can do more and more of these assemblies each year yeah speaking of surprises i was surprised that people were surprised that brian foxworth uh, got it last year. Oh man! It made perfect Brian's sense to me. Man. Yes. Brian's the man. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, and, and and even actually even more productive now than he, he has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he played in the store last last week drumming for Curtis Salgado. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
You know, he plays with the Roseland Hunters. Yep. Uh, you know, at the Blues Festival last year, I think he must have played with... I saw him every single day, and he was playing with somebody <laughs> different each day, but he must have played six times and down a long at the Blues history. Festival. I found, um, in goodwill, I'm sorry to say, uh, Linda Hornbuckle's album, Clearly. Oh, uh, yeah. Which he is on. Yeah. And it's, which is a great album, you know, and that was a, that was a long time ago. Uh, well, he was a young boy yeah. at that time. And he was in Rubberneck? Yep. Rubberneck, man. That was a, that was a band. That was a great band. <laughs> uh, they, definitely some great fun nights with Rubberneck. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hot, sweaty, dancing nights, yes. you know? Yes. <laughs> I remember their logo was, was the Rubbermaid logo, but it said Rubberneck. Rubberneck. <laughs> Funny guys. The, the brothers. And Brian's working on uh, a new project with uh, some of the members from Pleasure. From Pleasure, yeah, I know. And... Uh, I mean, he's probably the best fit for replacing Bruce Carter, who was the, uh-huh. the drummer for Pleasure. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why Pleasure hasn't done any reunions over the year, huh. because they've never been able to find that person to replace Bruce Carter. Yeah. Um, amazing drummer. Well, you know, the, speaking of that, the... the th- the the death of Janice Scroggins is still resonating all over the all, all over town. Oh, def, definitely that was a, a big loss. That and was it, a blow. It was, it was a back-to-back bummer because yeah. we also yeah. lost Janice Scroggins at the time too. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. I said Janice Scroggins. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it, it's it's amazing. It's amazing the effect that that woman had, Janice Scroggins. You know? Janice played with everybody, and everybody wanted Janice yeah. to play with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the some of the coolest shows I ever saw in town were stripped down shows with just like yeah. Janice and Lloyd Jones, or, Janice and Curtis Elgato, Janice um, and Paul Delay. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what was amazing at at the Paul Delay Memorial, uh, which was over at the Art Museum. Uh-huh. Um, they had a giant screen up there and they had this, you know, video audio uh-huh. presentation in between the musical acts. Uh-huh. And it got to the point where Janice was going to speak. Yeah. And if you, if you know Janice, she, she doesn't speak all that much. Right. And I, I'm looking up at the screen and I'm just set in position just to watch Janice. Yeah. And the audio doesn't come on. Oh, no. So you just see her oh, mouth move man. and stuff, oh, and I didn't geez. get to hear the geez, audio. Geez, geez. <laughs> I saw her um, at the Silverton Wine and Jazz Festival one year with Reggie Houston, just the two of them. Oh. She was telling jokes on stage. Oh, Who man. knew? She was really funny. She, yeah. she was, she's an amazing woman. Yeah. Definitely an amazing woman. Well, listen, thank you so much for, you know, taking up all this time. Uh, hey, great know. to talk to you as always, Appreciate Tom. it. And, and uh, you know, we, we always are, you know, we always are pulling for Music Millennium. You know? Well, we appreciate it. And, and thanks for supporting the local music community. We really appreciate it out here. Okay, thanks. Thanks.